Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. Oh God, we, we call on the name of Jesus because we know that that name means something. It's meant something for for thousands of years. It helps guide us. It helps lead us. It helps us when times are rough or difficult. So, Lord, this morning we call on Jesus to open our hearts and our minds. We pray that you will allow my words to be your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is week five of our series looking at the seven churches of Revelation. And I've been having a blast doing this. I I hope you have learned a lot from this too, and and it's helped you grow in your faith. If if you have missed any of the previous messages, you could go online to fumcroycity.life, and uh, under the media you can find uh, all of the sermons uh, for the past three or four years are are there. But also, if you're a podcaster, you like listening to podcasts, you can just search for Roy City uh, First United Methodist Church, and, and those sermons are posted every Monday. Uh, so you can you can hear what what uh, I've said or or what our guest preachers have said, uh, just to, to to catch up and to follow along uh, with what's happening in the life of our church. You know, uh, doing this series, you know, I, I I will admit at first, you know, it, it was kind of daunting and scary because you know you don't know what you're going to get when you get into the Book of Revelation sometimes, especially when you. You know, read books like Left Behind or some of the other, uh, those, those scary tales that are out there about doom and destruction. But the more I look into the seven churches of Revelation, I see me. I see me all throughout the seven churches, and I go, man, you know, I, I, I can be dense in my own faith journey. I, I can use that extra nudging and guiding and leading that we get through when we take a look at Scripture. And and for the city of Sardis and for the church at Sardis too, you can see that there as well. I, I see myself play out as I hear what Jesus has shared with that church. You know, we were talking about at the very beginning how the seven churches of Revelation, that the, these letters came about because John, when he was exiled to the island of Patmos, these seven churches were the seven closest churches to that island. And, and these seven churches formed a circuit, if you will, and most likely that was a, a mail route or a trade route in that area, starting at Ephesus and moving all the way around to uh, the last church, which is, is Philadelphia. And, and probably circuit riders or, or pastors or, or messengers would go in between each of those churches to, to deliver important information. 
And these were information that was specific to that church. And if you remember listening to the past four churches, you can hear the specificity to those churches. But also they've hung around and they've, they've become relevant to us too because those messages are ones that we need to hear even today. So, so a little bit about Sardis. Sardis was about 60 miles um, inland from Ephesus and Smyrna. It, it was uh, in this kind of valley area, but it was also up on a plateau. So it, it was built up, and that made Sardis a, a perfect place for like an armament or, or a citadel, some place that was, was very, very powerful. As a matter of fact, it, it was so powerful that it was the capital of the Lydian Empire, a long, long time ago. So people would, would come to uh, Sardis to be a part of what was happening in that area. Just like the other churches, there was a lot of pagan worship that happened there. You know, uh, Artemis was a, was a big goddess that was there and a couple of other gods that were around there too. But the, but the church was able to grow and, and thrive to a point while it was there in Sardis. It, it was a very powerful and mighty city, but as we hear our scripture, we can see that it's also kind of had a decline, or it's kind of plateaued off, or even was, was kind of a hidden or, or neglected area because of how that, that area went, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. So, with that introduction to Sardis, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Straighten what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I will come to you, yet... You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you can hear this pattern that we've been talking about over the past few weeks uh, among this letter to the people of Sardis. It first talks about who, who Jesus is, the person who uh, sent the letter to John to be written to these churches. Then we heard kind of a, 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 a rebuke and condemnation kind of tied together, then another con a condemnation uh, after that, and then a, a reading for those who have heard 
to receive what, what Jesus has given them. So we're going to start talking like we have in the past about the words that are attributed to how Jesus describes himself. And, and in this part, we see that he talks about the uh, seven spirits and the seven, uh, seven stars. Now, before we talked about the seven stars, when we hear that, that talks about the seven churches that are in the area. It's those seven stars that are, that are lit for, for the church or lit for the message of God. Now, the seven spirits has to talk about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how that was given to those seven churches. There are seven different gifts that we hear about, uh, specifically in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 through 5, where we hear these words. It says, the Spirit of the Lord, that's the first one, will rest on him. And with that, you get the Spirit of wisdom, that's two, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, uh, four and five, the spirit of knowledge and fear, six and seven, of the Lord. So we have the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear. These are the gifts that God has given to each of those churches. And they are blessed by these gifts, but as we know how things can happen with gifts, sometimes you use them and sometimes you don't use them. Sometimes when you get a gift, you're so excited and you want to continue to use it to, to, to make it uh, worthwhile and, and give honor to the person who gave you those gifts. But there's sometimes where we just take those gifts and we kind of set them aside. Now, the bad thing about that with these gifts aren't like a toy or a, a shirt or a tie or, or, or socks. These are gifts that, that came from God that helps us grow as followers of Jesus Christ. These gifts mean something to us, and it helps us to increase our love of God and love of neighbor. Now, the important thing about the number seven, it's a sign of completion. It's a sign of perfection that all of these things together, these, these seven gifts or these seven spirits, bring up a, a completed faction for us. So by following and by living in those seven gifts or those seven spirits, we are living in the perfection of Christ. But then we get to the rebuke. And the rebuke is a simple two-word phrase. Wake up. Wake up. You, the church has been asleep and you have to come and finally wake up, or you're just going to be bowled over. Now, that's a message for us, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it was really specific for this church in Sardis. Remember, at the very beginning, I talked about how Sardis was built upon this plateau, and it was a, a, a center, and it was where the Lydian Empire held uh, their, their, their center of their kingdom. So all of the power, all of the wealth, all of the circumstances were, were there for the people of Sardis. But then they got complacent. And then they sat there thinking, we're all that. We have everything we need. We don't have to worry about anything. But people started to try to come on to the city of Sardis. They, they wanted to take over this, this very high, very populous, very important area. 
So they would come, and I'm sure there were battle after battle after battle that people would lose. So the Sardians would, would, would be overconfident because of their position. And then finally, King Cyrus of Persia decided that he was going to take over Sardis. And, and, and he, he put a bounty, if you will, onto the city. So people would try all over to try to take over this town. And finally, one day, there was a, a spy who was watching what was happening up on this plateau. And he noticed a, a soldier who dropped his helmet. And the helmet rolled off of this plateau. And thinking, well, that helmet is gone, so he's going to have to get himself another one. He noticed that the soldier would make his way down the side of the plateau. And he, he picked up his helmet and he moved his way back up. So this, this, this spy or this uh, soon-to-be attacker knew that there was a way for them to get up this plateau to get to the city. So that he gathered a whole bunch of uh, soldiers around him, and at night they decided to make their scale up to the town of Sardis. And they made their way all the way up to the top, and they looked around, and no one was there. There was no guard. There, was, there, were, there were no uh, soldiers. There was, there was nothing. Everybody was asleep. So it was a perfect opportunity for the city of Sardis to fall, and that's what happened. See, those that were on this high plateau, they thought they were safe, so they just went to sleep. They said, well, there's no reason for us to guard. There's no reason for us to be prepared. We're going to be just fine. But that is when the attack came, and that is when they lost their city. And that city was destroyed for about two centuries until Alexander the Great moved into the area and he found this place again. And he said this would be a good place for a, a Greek center. He built it up again. And shortly after Alexander the Great died, it happened again. They got complacent. They, they looked around. They said, there's no one that can touch us. We'll be fine. Sure enough, another spy was watching, and he saw the, the way to get up to the top of the mountain, and up they came and destroyed the town again. So when John writes these words from Jesus saying, wake up, the church knew what he was talking about. The church knew that they had a, a way of just falling asleep of not caring what was going on around them, not, not worried about what was going to happen because how are we going to get touched? How, how will we be affected because we're all the way up here and the world is down here just kind of moving around? There's no way that we will be affected. But we know that's not true, right? Right? As the church, we have to be alert. We have to be awake. We have to make sure that we are holding on to the words that Jesus has given us. All we have to do is look at what Jesus told us in the book of Matthew, the, the 25th chapter. There's a story about these 10 bridesmaids who were uh, awaiting the bridegroom to uh, show up. 
and they're hanging around together, and all of a sudden they hear that the bridegroom is on his way, and, and half of them, five, were, were worried because they didn't have enough oil in their lamp. So they begged the other five to, to, to kind of b- let them borrow some of their oil, but the other five realized if we gave you some of ours, then we won't have any left. So those five had to leave to go get oil, and while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And the bridegroom took the other five, and uh, when the other five returned, they went after the bridegroom and knocked on the door, and the bridegroom said, I'm sorry, you weren't ready. You weren't ready, so you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot enter the feast. Sometimes I think our modern church can be like the church in Sardis. We can look around thinking that we're fine, we got everything that we need, but we don't. We get complacent. We, we just sit and we realize that maybe we're fine with just where we are, but the fact of the matter is we're not. We are called to continue in our growth of faith. We are called to continue to, to explore what God has for us. We are called to find ways to share God's love in our community so more people can experience that love and that grace. And the easiest way for us to do that is by one simple word, and that word is go. Yeah, that's right. That word is go. It's not staying here where we're comfortable and where we're safe, but it's going out into the world to make a difference because Christ has made a difference in us. Now, being a pastor, I know that I'm on a whole bunch of email lists and and, uh, I look through websites, and one of the things that keeps coming up is talking about how there is a decline in the church, how the church is is slowly uh, dying away. You know, when we get together for denominational meetings, we, we hear about how there's less and less people attending churches regularly, especially with the young culture, and, and we start to wring our hands. But when we're wringing our hands, we're staying in a safe and secure area thinking, well, we just need to have them come to us so that we can grow. But see, that's not the way that the church grows. That's not the way that even Jesus did ministry. Jesus didn't hang around at the synagogue and wait for people to come to him. Jesus went out to where the people were to share his love and grace. There's a a modern-day prophet, I would call him, uh, his name is Shane Claiborne, and, and he, he's written a lot, and he's done a lot of social justice work. And I saw this quote from him recently where he said, if we lose a generation of young people in the church, and honestly, I would say if we lose even the older generation in the church, I think it's for the same reason. It won't be because we didn't entertain them. It will be because we didn't dare them to do something meaningful with the gospel in light of the world we live in. See, the church isn't here to entertain. 
The church isn't here to, to, to have something that, that, that tickles your fancy and says, oh, that was so beautiful, I'm going to come back next week. No, the church is here to affect your heart, to, to, to get you to understand that we exist so that lives can be changed. We exist so that the work and the ministry of the church can go out and, and, and catch the world on fire, if you will. Well, can, can let the power and the grace and the gospel come so alive on how we love, how we minister, how we serve, how we witness. All of those things allows us to be a way for people to see the gospel in action. So that's what happened to the church in Sardis. They, they were complacent. They, they had thought that they had everything, and they failed to do what Christ had called them to do. See, we have a reminder, and that reminder is right here. Every uh, first Sunday, we come to this table to remember that Christ died for us, and he gave himself up for us, not so that we can just say, oh, I'm just so glad Jesus died for me. Now I can go back to life as normal. But no, he did that so that the life around us can be changed, so that the world around us can be changed. When we partake of the bread, we remember that we are the body of Christ, that, that God has called each and every one of us to leave this place to make a difference, to leave this place to share his love, to share his grace, to share the power of Christ with others. But it, we don't do that on our own. We do that because of the other part of the meal when we partake of the cup. We remember that our sins are forgiven and we are then called to live our lives differently because Christ lives inside of us. So my hope and my prayer is that we don't become a Sardis, that we don't just enjoy coming to the sanctuary and then we leave this place to wait to come back the next week. But no, we leave knowing that Christ has empowered each and every one of us to make a difference in the world because he has made a difference for us and in us. Let us pray. Oh God, as we come to this table, we pray that you allow your spirit to refresh us, to inform us, to guide us, and to lead us, to let us see your love in action around us. Use this meal as a reminder of your love and how we are called to serve others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.